Hey creeps, it's Katie. And I'm Mom. And we just wanted to again give you a good big old forewarning that this is about to be a very, very intense part two of John Wayne Gacy. If you are not into the rape, torture, sodomy, mutilation, and just downright murder of these next 33 victims that are about to be explained, this is not for you. And it's not that we're into that. It's just we're into figuring out why people think like that. Yes. But if you're one of those people, then stick around. If you're not, we understand. And we'll catch you on the next episode. But Or the one after that. Or the, or the one after that. <laughs> yes. But for those of you who are here and in it to win it, strap in, creeps. It's about to be a wild ride. And as always, keep it creepy. Bye. Bye. Hey, creepy crawlers. I'm Katie. I'm Nate. And this is Case of the Creeps. The rope trick is not... uh, The way I've described the rope trick is it's nothing more than an tourniquet. Mm -hmm. And I had explained it to them. I even demonstrated it to them. We cut off the air. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to kill somebody, you you just put it on their neck and twist it three times or four times or whatever till the person stopped moving. And you took him where? Out on the I-55 bridge. And that's where, uh, how was he then taken from the car and placed into the into the river? Just opened up the trunk and dumped him in. Mm-hmm. Okay. There was, there, was no, there was no big special deal on yeah. it. I couldn't get down in the car. No big special deal. No big special deal. Well, hello, creeps. And welcome back to part two and a very rough episode of Case of the Creeps. I'm Katie, and I am not joined by Papa Bear tonight, but I'm not alone. Hi, guys. Mom is back. We've got Mama Jerry. I just decided that I was going to stop recording right then and there for some reason. Wow. So we're back. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Good to know. Welcome, Mama. So, this is going to be the conclusion of our first two-parter of the new miniseries, New Year's Fears. Um, If you are here from part one, first off, big shout out to you guys because that episode dropped literally yesterday, so Friday. We're recording Saturday night. So, for those of you who were just patiently waiting for us to drop an episode, um, thank you. That was really cool to see everybody jumping on that. I have been waiting. I know a lot of people have. A lot of people have. And I'm so sorry. But this is just to prove to you guys that we are back on our schedule no matter what. So tonight's going... Even if I have to come sub. Yeah. Here I am. And that's... You know what? That's fine. This is, again, the conclusion to part two of John Wayne Gacy, the killer clown. In this episode, guys, we're about to get very serious, very quick, very intense... This is not going to be fun, but for those of you who are here to hear the conclusion, make sure that you are fully prepared. There will be a lot of violence, rape, torture, sodomy, murder, just it's, you're going to have a full-blown case of the creeps once we're done with everything. So just make sure you are prepared for that. And if not, as always, that's fine. Catch us up when we're done with this series. It's going to be a while, but I will promise maybe what we'll do is we'll throw in some palate cleansers 
and well, see if we can do some like listener tales. I was gonna say we could do some listener tales. Or um, we could do like a whole Reddit read episode and just kind of sprinkle them in throughout this series. That way we can get some some relief. Especially what everyday life is going on around you. Oh it's my like, God. Whoa, well, and our, our family right now is prime example that things can go sideways so quick in normal day life. So it, you got to roll with the punches and okay. sometimes coming to a podcast and having to roll with those punches <laughs> can sometimes make it worse. And throw somebody a little bit closer to the ledge. So we'll sprinkle in some um, palette cleansers for you guys. Because when you look at this list that's coming that you guys don't know about, it's it's a lot just to see who's coming because there are some major heavy hitters. I mean, and it's freaking daunting just reading this stuff over and over and over again to get an outline. Requested one. Who who would you who would you have requested? Eileen Moros. God damn it, we're adding a seventh. <laughs> I mean, think about it. She was right down the street She from was us. right down the street from us. It Literally makes a lot of sense. Less than five minutes from my house. Okay, so that means that we now have seven heavy hitters <laughs> that are coming. She's not really a heavy hitter, but she she's, is a wackadoodle. But she's heavy. We'll add her on because we're all we already added on a redo of Kemper to give him justice, because when you listen back, that's like in the beginning of those episodes that are just so cringy of like Oh. Uh, but you see where you come from. Exactly. Don't ever forget where you came from. Well, and I have to, we're getting a little sidetracked here, but that's fine. I just have to say, that night that I was in the car with you and you had us playing, when we got in and the radio turned on and I was like, oh my God, I've never listened to us. And you were like, excuse me? What do you mean you've never listened to yourself? And I'm like, well, I listen to it while I edit it. Like, that's good enough for me. I never hear the finished product of it. So I forgot what episode it was that you were listening to, but it was an intro that I did. It was. And we about peed ourselves laughing. Not your, it obviously wasn't the Gacy intro. It was the intro Uh, that, because you've only done three and you've nailed all three. (laughs) It wasn't the first one. It was the second one. Shit. And it was the song too. It was the uh, Krampus or the, no. Uh Uh-uh. I don't remember what it, it was. It was the sleep paralysis one. That's what it was. Because it was the, he sees you when you're sleeping. That's what yeah. it was. Yeah. And we died laughing. Well, because we listened to that. Because I listen to it when I drive to work. Like, yeah. it's always playing in the car. If it's not you, it's the girl. Yeah. Morbid. But. Shout out. Shout out, Morbid. We love you girls so much. Family there. <laughs> the mass holes. The mass <laughs> But because of that instance when we were in the car that night i went back and i listened to the first couple episodes and it's like wow i'm so glad i don't sound like that anymore (laughs) (laughs) it's good to see where you're coming from so before we do jump back in the uh, to where we left off in our case with the killer clown i just want to first off thank a bunch of you awesome creeps because on january 15th a few sundays back uh you guys wished me a happy 30th birthday And I just wanted to say thank you guys because that was really cool to see everyone commenting and stuff on so many levels. It was just very nice to see everybody extending out. Also, it was ma'am. Epic. Miss ma'am. The surprise party that I walked into (laughs) of everyone laying rest to my 20s. Your husband and your sister-in-law, my children, planned it. All I did was obliged by their commands. I'm very, I gotta say, I am oh, impressed. Papa here to help set Yes. Up. Oh, God damn, all of you guys. Yep. 
it, that's good. I'm impressed to know that creepy husband helped plan that because mm. I would have totally nailed Jenna for all of that. That was no. it was really cool. And it like was good. everyone knows how hard I am to surprise because I sit there and poke and prod and pry and try and get hints and stuff. Well, that's why the escape room was a surprise. It was yeah. to throw you off it of did. the actual surprise. Oh, and it did, but it, and it was funny too because when we got in the car, so I got it I got surprised guys at the they did an escape room for us here in town. Well, first off, we'll start off by Zach and Katie were going to out to lunch mm-hmm. and I came over to the house to watch the boy. And when they left, me and I had to call Nate. Mm-hmm. Hey, come on over. It's time. And we decorated the whole entire house. The boy had no yeah, idea? None. Oh, my it's God. Great. Yes. Um, well, and then we went to lunch. And then from then on, I had no clue what was going on. And he said, well, we got to be at this place by 345. And I'm like, where the frick do we have to be? There's a time slot of 345. Like, that makes no freaking sense. Well, then he popped the U-turn and we pulled in and there's this big, huge thing. And it says, escape room. I'm like, are we going to an escape room? And he's like, well, that's what the fucking sign said. (laughs) (laughs) So then we walk inside and besties Jenna and Casey are there. And they're in these laying rest to 20 shirts. And they were surprised. And I was like, this is awesome. So then we did the escape room. We beat the escape room, which was just, like, so much better. <laughs> we had seven minutes left, too. So, like, mm. we were coming down to the wire. Well, you killed it. <laughs> um, and then we were getting ready to leave. And I was like, oh, well, let's go out and get drinks or something. But one of Jenna's kiddos was sick. Her husband and uh, was home with him. And she's like, oh, well, I got to go check and make sure that he's okay and stuff. So I'll just call you and let you know. So we get in the car and we're driving. Jenna calls and she's like, hey, kiddo's not doing good. Probably going to have to pass. I'm going out to get drinks tonight. I'm really sorry, but I hope you enjoyed the escape room. I was like, dude, that's totally fine. Like, I've had a great birthday. Hung up with her and uh, husband was like, well, let's just go to the liquor store. and We'll get some alcohol and we'll take some shots and shit at home. I'm like, yeah, that's fine. And the girls had gotten me one of those uh, laying rest to 30 sashes or dirty 30 sashes or something. And I went to go and take it off. And he was like, don't take that off. And I was like, why? And he was like, revel in this. Like, it's your Your birthday. birthday. Like, you wear that. I'm like, okay. (laughs) So we go in, we get alcohol, we come back, we go home. I locked the door. What I didn't realize is I locked the top lock, which (coughs) apparently isn't as easy to get in with No, it is not. So so we're sitting there messing with the keys. Well, at first, when we pulled up, I saw Nate's truck. And I was like, why the fuck is Nate here? And husband was like, oh, well, um, I think he said something about coming over and take a shot with you for your birthday or something. And I'm like, oh, that, I mean, yeah, that, that chalks sense. up. That's fine. So we're getting ready to walk in. The door's locked. I'm like, what? Why is the door locked? And he's like, I don't fucking know. And he's like getting pissed and shit. Because you like, guys thought it was just me and Yeah. The I'm boy like, so what the fuck's the going on here? And like, he opens up the door and I see this black streamer. Um, across the hall and I'm like what the hell and I come around the corner and there's fucking 20 people in my house screaming surprise at me I'm scared (laughs) it scared the shit out of me so I'm backing up into husband and he's pushing into me like don't back up into me they're here for you and like throws me out in front of everyone It it was a lot of fun so thank you guys so much I really appreciate it really honestly that's all I really wanted to say before we got into this nitty gritty Because we've got a lot to cover. So, with that being said, I think we're just going to go ahead and do the rest of the business at the end. Because there are a couple things that I do want to talk about, but I don't want to waste any more time jumping in. 
So, with that being said, you want to pop this case? Sure. Ready? Mark, set, go. Aha! Cheers. Cheers. To Gacy. Mm. Oh, delicious. Okay. So. Monster, nine o'clock. <laughs> I know. Well, that's that's how we roll in this house. We have no a lot of time for energy drinks. It doesn't matter if it's 9 a.m., 10 p.m. Time is non-existent with this family. No, that is part of the case of the creeps. Yeah. So, there. <laughs> now, before we get into all the very intense stuff that we're going to be getting into, I want to do a little refresher for you guys to get you up to speed as far as what we've already covered. So, again, we are currently in John Wayne Gacy. This is part two, and this is where things are going to start to amp up more than they were in part one. Up to this point, we have a roly-poly of a man who is literally lying his way through life while also covering up some very dark secrets about himself. Gacy was the middle child in his family, never got the approval or the appreciation from his father. He was constantly belittled and told he will never be good enough or amount to anything in life. On top of having the daylights be out of him for literally breathing wrong. Also, he was being sodomized on the regular by a friend of the family who was also a general contractor. Then, just a little tidbit as well, this is all before he reached the age of 10. And this is where you feel sorry for and you have empathy for the, the child. child. The not child. the adult. Yes. You can not, kind of... Not his actions afterwards, but for when the child, like, you feel... He never had a true childhood. All he no. ever knew was no. trauma. No. So he was he was doomed from the, out of the gate, essentially. Yeah. Yep. So yep. Uh, now, at the age of 10, Gacy was also diagnosed... It literally created a monster. It did. Gacy was also diagnosed with a congenital heart disease, too, which caused him to miss a lot of school and eventually drop out. He was involved in politics for a short time as an assistant, and then after multiple fights with his dad, he moved to Vegas, and this is where Gacy kind of got a taste of what he desired sexually. He worked at a mortuary and one night crawled into a casket that held a teenage boy. It he, makes me want to puke just thinking about it's it. It's like, like he went from like zero to a hundred. Oh my God, like, he did. Snap. Just, just like that. I want. It was almost yeah. as if it was... You know, curiosity killed the cat, in in essence, it, very morbidly. But there was morbidly. nothing, like, before this that he did that was... No, it was just curiosity of, like, let me cuddle this boy who's dead. No, that's uh, not curiosity, no. that's sickness. <laughs> like, You're not have wrong. Have you ever been curious about cuddling a dead person? Well, he, no. 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 Me either. Yeah. No, I see a dead person and I'm like, that's yeah. not for me. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. He went from, like, zero to a hundred. Like He did. So, I'm working into a mortuary, now I'm cuddling a boy. You went from here to there quicker than you can blink your eyes, man. So he cuddled him, he fondled him, and then, quote, was in a state of shock from what he had just done, which made him want to come home to mommy. And once returning home, he went to the University of Business and actually graduated regardless of not graduating any other school. How that was possible, I don't know. Like, how... Does a dean of a college overlook the fact that this guy doesn't even have a high school diploma nor a GED? Especially because back then, it's not like now where you can pay $200 and go on the computer and take a high school diploma course yeah, nope. and pass with straight A's. No, that that, that was not a thing. Yeah, not back then. No. It is now. 
It, absolutely it is now. I've got one. <laughs> you said that. It's so prideful. <laughs> I'll do. Okay, so he went to the University of Business and actually graduated regardless of not graduating any other school. Then he went to work for the Nun Bush Shoe Company. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> Penny loafers. <laughs> he excelled as the greasy salesman that he was always meant to be. And he also met his first wife, Marlin, the woman, not the fish. <laughs> now, after marrying Marlin, they moved to Waterloo, Iowa, where, to the request of new father-in-law, Gacy would manage three KFC franchises and really start to make bank and also start exploring other endeavors, particularly in the boys' section. Gacy had created a basement bar in the previous home of his in-laws and had started to invite the boys that he had working at the KFCs over to party, hang loose, do drugs, and play pool with their greasy manager. This is where Gacy started to really try and test the waters of how far he could go with these boys in a sexual manner. He would liquor them up, drug them up, and then try and make advances on the boys. But whenever the advances would go sour, he would just laugh and say really slimy things like, well, I'm just testing your morals or this is for scientific purposes. Like, (laughs) get the fuck out, Holmes. You can't convince me that you're doing this for scientific purposes. Where's the lab coat, first of all? I'm way older than you. I think that song, God, I wish I get it. Science. Oh, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, but with each advance that he made, Gacy was getting more and more pushy to the fact. Also at this time, he joined the local JC Club, too, which was supposed to be like an outreach group for young males to branch out for opportunity mostly. But any man from the age of, I think it was 12, actually, to 40, were able to join, and the older members, like Gacy, did a lot more than just outreaching. There was a lot of unorthodox things going on within the club, like wife swapping, watching stag films or pornos until they led to an orgy. Yeah, that's... Like, yeah. excuse me? First, first we're... Like, like, we can breeze right on past the whole wife swapping thing and go straight to the orgy, because what... Especially in a group that's predominantly males at this time, and everyone's just on board with this. Like, hey, we're just all gonna get yeah, this Friday is, night, yeah. nine p.m. Let's go down and watch a stag film with Joe and the and his wife and Phil and his wife, and you know, see what happens. You never know. Maybe we'll go get a coney dog after. <laughs> you know, no. I'll bring some no. KFC and we'll be good. <laughs> I was just gonna say. My um, husband and I just went and had KFC the other day, and let me tell you, it was the most disgusting sandwich <coughs> I have ever had. And the fries were so, it was disgusting. KFC, you've Let's gone, just say, you've gone down. I mean, it was on the corner of Mason and LPGA. <laughs> <laughs> just, these were just some really odd things that were happening for a club that's supposed to be centered around wholesome leadership. Club. Uh, This is where we come to Gacy's first big run into the law, uh, which involved the sexual assault against Donald Voorhees Jr., who was the son to Donald Voorhees Sr., another member of the JCs. I don't want to spend too much time on what we've already covered, so general layout of this event. He assaulted Jr. 
Junior told Senior, Gacy denied everything, of course, even to the point of doing a polygraph test, which he flunked, like most of the tests that he took throughout his childhood, Hmm. and then went another step further and hired one of his other employees to go beat up Junior, which happened, but Junior got away and told Senior. This ended up with Gacy going to court and pleading guilty to the sodomy charge, but nothing else. Yeah, because the guy that Gacy got to beat him up, as soon as the cops questioned him, he buckled. Was like, oh, oh yeah. yeah, no, no, no. He told me, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, they yep. picked up, um, I think was his name was Schroeder. His last name was Schroeder. Robert Schroeder, I think it was. They picked him up, and immediately before they even got to the station, he's like, I'll tell uh, you everything. 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 Yeah. Here's, you want the $300 that Gacy paid me with? It's right here. Like, you can fingerprint it. I am not a part of this. So, this ended up with Gacy going to court and pleading guilty to the sodomy charge, getting served not only 10 years in prison, but divorce papers from Marlin, which included her taking the kids, house, and alimony as well on December 3rd of 1968. And this is where we have left off and are starting officially with part two now. So before we go any further, guys, we one more time, uh, we can't stress enough that these next episodes, like this one is probably going to be one of the worst ones. To get super crazy, super quick. So again, you're going to get tired of all these trigger warnings, but we really just want to make sure that you guys know what's coming. So if you're not into sexual assault, murder, torture, this is where you get off. Because I'm not going to keep giving warnings past this one. Otherwise, it'll be a whole episode of warning, warning, warning. You know, if you just want to listen to the uh, background of it. That's enough. Yeah. That's enough. Just go there. Yeah. And then, yeah, we'll Mm -hmm. background the next episode. Mm -hmm. Like. Just, yeah, skip the rest. You could do part one. Part one was pretty easy. Yeah, it was easy. But this, we're about to get very detailed. And this is, like we said in the first... uh Peace out the, to those who are not so creepy. Nah. <laughs> and that's okay. It's we have right. some... Cu- I call them the cushy creepers. Because hey, we need... What? They gotta have a little bit of the cush. My daughter? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, no. She yeah, some, She's some flat out told she me she will, can't listen to us. She won't. No. She, well, because, like, we are... The heavy hitters. We are she doing the heavy, she, hard ones. She's, she's, no. And that's fine. That's okay. That's okay. Love you anyways, boo. Now, Gacy is currently residing at the Anamosa State Penitentiary. And wouldn't you know, he was very quick to get the title of model prisoner. Hmm. Guys, this guy was an absolute pro at persuasion and getting what he wanted. He was a politician. And he gave the car, the persona of a used car salesman. Politician. He was. And he was... He got he, to be next to the freaking president's wife. Yeah. Yep. Like, you don't... You, he Not everybody can do that. his way right through... He did. ...through life. So, you know... Um, While being a psychopath. Complete psychopath. Yes. But, you know, as far as used car salesman comparison... You know, in the very first movie, Transformers with Shia La- LaBeouf, yes. and it's got Uncle Bobby Ray, <laughs> car salesman, that sells Bumblebee uh-huh. to him. Yeah. That's all I can think about. Oh. Uncle Bobby Ray, Bumblebee baby. Bumblebee is my favorite I know. of all of them. <laughs> the, uh, think slimy man greasing his way to the top, and I guarantee you a picture of Gacy will be your reference photo. So while incarcerated and within months of arriving here, he had risen also to the title of head cook which was perfect for the manager of KFCs. There was also a JC chapter in prison too that he joined and was able to increase the memberships from 50 to about 650 men in less than 18 months. 
but he wasn't done there. He also started bumping elbows with the warden because, again, he was so easily able to just smooth his way through to the big guys. That inevitably ended up with the increase of inmates' pay in the mess hall, and also he was made the supervisor of multiple projects that would help improve conditions for the inmates. By the summer of 1969, Gacy had overseen the install of a mini golf course and a rec yard for the inmates to utilize while there. So you might be going to prison, but you can play putt-putt. What? What? I've never heard... It just blows me away that he was able to smooth talk, like... Everybody. Everyone. Like, like he, he, I had said it before, if you gave this man enough time, I feel he would 100% be able to convince you this sky was purple. He could have been a cult leader. Oh, absolutely. And nobody would have suspected a fucking thing. No one. Mm. Now, even though he did all these things and bumped elbows with the higher-ups, it still wasn't enough. And that same summer, in June of 1969, his first hearing for parole came up and he was denied. It still wasn't good enough. So in an attempt to really show he was changing for the better before the next hearing, which was the following year in 1970 in May, he also started to attend high school courses. He attended 16 courses to be exact, which he passed and obtained his high school diploma in 1969 of November. However, disaster would strike for Gacy on Christmas Day of 1969 when his father would die from cirrhosis of the liver, and his request to attend the funeral was denied as well. So he never got to say goodbye to his dad. I watched a uh, documentary, and his sister said that he um, he always felt that it was his fault his father died because he went to prison. And she was like, that has nothing to do with you. He was an alcoholic. It was cirrhosis of the liver. Yeah. But he still, because he always wanted his dad's approval and he wasn't able to go to the funeral, like, he always blamed himself. A lot (laughs) of people could argue as well that this could be the switch that flipped in Gacy that would almost solidify what his future was about to become. Yeah. Because you had this guy who just tortured the bullshit out of you and... You never got to reconcile with him, even though his da- his dad did say at one point that I was wrong about you. You yeah. still carry that. You still carry all that bullshit you went through. Now you yeah. can't say goodbye to him and say, I forgive you. That can fuck somebody up, like big time. Now, even though Gacy was sentenced to 10 years in prison in 1968, he was actually released on June 18th of 1970 with 12 months of probation after only serving 18 months of his 10-year sentence, which is just fucking wild. Appalling. Uh, Appalling. Makes me grind my teeth, honestly. The stipulations of his release and parole had him relocate to Chicago, live with his mother, and respect a 10 p.m. curfew. Gacy obliged, and within 24 hours of release, was back in Chicago with mom, and had also obtained a job as a short-order cook at a local Italian restaurant. It wouldn't take long before Gacy would draw attention to himself and break his curfew prowling the night for young boys. Of course. It, it never, once you find that Ugh. thing, like, it's, it's a habit. It turns into a habit. And yeah, it's, it's disgusting. disgusting. So on February 12th of 1971, a boy ran to the Chicago police station and reported that Gacy had lured him into his car from the bus station and tried to force him to have sex with him. Unfortunately, the charges were dropped because the boy never showed up to testify against him, and somehow that went unnoticed to the Iowa Parole Board, 
And eight months later, his parole would end and his record would be sealed of the events. So he got away scot fucking free. All done. Now, while working as a chef at this little restaurant, Gacy really wanted to be his own boss and start working up towards his very own contracting company. I'm just going to stop right there for a second. Because he wanted to work up towards a contracting company. Now, he was sodomized for two years by a a contractor. contractor. (laughs) So, wait a second here. He thought, hmm, it worked for For him. him. (laughs) It worked for him. And you know what? I liked the power. The power seems to be something that I enjoy, I think. So, that's one, I think. I want to make somebody feel like I felt. Yes. And I know how to do it. 100%. And I know the job and how to do it right here. It was done to me. Mm. So. What, BB? Now, this contracting company would be later known as PDM Contractors. When you ask Gacy what that meant, he would laugh and say, Haha, pretty damn messy. But what it actually stood for was painting, decorating, and maintenance. He started slow with landscaping needs, wallpaper tear-offs, remodeling and installation work. But what he wasn't anticipating was for so many to want John's business because of the facade that he had created as the helpful neighbor in the area, that he eventually needed to expand his workspace. This led to the purchase of the infamous home of 8213 West Summerdale Ave in Chicago. It was a ranch-style house in the village of Norridge, which was part of the Norwood Park Township of Cook County, in metropolitan Chicago. Gacy and Ma moved into this house, and the front area became Gacy's office for the booming business that he had created, and it wouldn't take long after his new endeavor that he would find love again. Divorcee and mother of two girls, Carol Hoff. Gacy and Carol had actually dated before in high school for a short time, and Carol had always had a thing for the slime ball. And on July 1st of 1972, Carol and Gacy would be married, and her and the girls would move in while Gacy's mother moved out and into an apartment nearby. I'd so, be like, God damn it, Cupid, you fucking shot the wrong arrow at uh, me. For real! <laughs> like, this, like, why, Cupid? I got some questions for the yeah. HR. Yeah. <laughs> now, all was fine in the world of the Gacy's at this time. Gacy was seen as an important member of the community, the helpful guy always coming to the rescue for neighbors when needed or seen. He would plow snow from driveways and lend tools when someone needed them for their little home projects. Oh, my God. He and Carol would also host lavish parties and cookouts for the entire neighborhood. And they would be fucking themed, too, like Hawaiian luau's, a July 4th party with... That was themed like the signing of Declaration of Independence. So everyone was white powder wigs with the vest ensembles and the knee-high boots and stuff like that. Like corsets where you can't breathe. Yes. And not only that, everyone would participate too. Of course. Like there was no question of Johnny and June down the way fucking coming and not participating. So my husband and I were talking about this and... He could have honestly just stayed being a good person. And he would have been great. Yeah. You did your time, supposedly, for Mm -hmm. what you were convicted for. So you did all that good shit while you were in there. And now you got out. And now you're like... You're doing good good shit. You're doing it. Why not stick to fucking doing good shit? Yeah. Not only that, but again, it would be for the entire... That's where it (coughs) makes me always wonder, like, how does their brain tick? Yeah. Because ours don't tick that way. Again, 
This would be for the entire neighborhood because there would be over 400 attendees and even high baller fucking politicians if Gacy could get his slimy hands on them and get them there. So we're talking big concho people, the entire encircling neighborhood would show up for these parties. Everyone knew who Gacy was. They wanted to be part of his life. He wanted to look like that person who had it all, won it all, <clears throat> could do it all kind of thing. Like It only makes did. sense that he turned out to be a fucking shithead. Because he was so fucking good. And like, he's a Democrat. He, he was a de- <laughs> Democrat. You're <laughs> making me joke. <coughs> Think about it. Ugh. Fucking Democrat. So by 1973, PDM had taken off so well he had to quit his job as a cook and was taking care of business. Every day. Full time. <laughs> <laughs> and two years later in 1973, Gacy would be working up to 16 hours a day. No. You can't pay me enough. I don't even have to be my own boss. I'm not working 16 hours a day. There's no fucking way. My husband does a lot. Ugh, I could pop up. I give you props. And while things may look great for Gacy on the outside, there was a bit of trouble on the homestead. It was also in 1975 that Gacy approached Carol and told her the news. He was bisexual. Now, Carol wasn't exactly phased by this. She had always had her suspicions. But then on Mother's Day that same year, did the horizontal mambo. Mm. Happy Mother's Day, Carol. And then afterwards, Gacy got up and got dressed, looked at Carol and said... Be the last time you ever have these 11 herbs and spices. <laughs> Colonel Sanders ain't shake, shake, shaking on you no more. You ain't getting this shake and bake. <laughs> all in all, if you haven't gotten those references, we ain't having sex no more. <laughs> and then he left the room just... We ain't doing it no more. And then stormed out of the room like a 16-year-old who just had her phone taken away. <laughs> now, it was after oh this my. that Gacy would start to leave home only to return in the early hours of the morning with the excuse of, we're late. Carol did notice that he would bring teenage boys home to the garage, sometimes in these early hours, and would also later find wallets of boys and gay porno mags as well. When she would confront Gacy about this, he would always lash out and say, It's none of your goddamn business, business, bitch. Which is the same thing Gacy would also say when a very putrid smell would come come from the bottom of the house every once in a while. Carol would complain that an animal had died under the house and that Gacy needed to get it fixed. And Gacy would again reply with, there's nothing there. You're fucking crazy. But very quickly, at the same time, took some of the boys that he had hired through PDM, had them crawl under the house and throw down some quicklime to Mm. help with the smell. And we're going to come back to that smell again here in a few, so hold on to that, guys. This all came to a head on October of 1975, when Carol failed to balance a checkbook correctly, and a heated argument broke out. It was after this argument that Carol requested a divorce, and in March the following year of 1976, the divorce was finalized on the grounds that Gacy, of Gacy's infidelity... Wow. Infidelity? Yeah, that word. (laughs) That That one, right there. (laughs) The divorce was finalized on the grounds of Gacy's infidelity with women. He was not cheating responsibly. Not true. (laughs) And and the girls all moved out. Now, I want to make something very clear right now, guys. 
All while Carol and her daughters were living in this house. Gacy was out prowling. He was killing. He was murdering boys and hiding their bodies in the worst places. Some of them could be even considered under the girls' very heads while they slept. Now, the next year... that property is? Oh, my God. Imagine the amount of poor, trapped souls who are probably having to relive their murders every single day on a cycle. I bet that whole fucking street is fucked. That's so much activity for one little spot. No, they went on. Why? Because they weren't going to let Casey get the best of them. And they were so, and they were all innocent. They were yeah. all innocent. Fuck you, bitch. I ain't staying here for the rest of my life. Now, the next year, in March of 1977, Gacy took on a new project because the man never stopped working and became a supervisor for PE Systems, Systems, which was a firm that specialized in remodeling drugstores. Between both PDM and PE Systems, Gacy was working on up to four projects at a time simultaneously and also frequently traveled for work. And by 1978, PDM's revenue alone was over $200,000, which is like... Back then? Holy shit. That is the big buku bucks. Did you? I did not convert. Are you going to convert? I'm going to try. But this wasn't his only projects that Gacy was involved in. We all know that Gacy loved politics at this point, being in that limelight, making the decisions, helping the community... Being the big man with big plans, which led to him joining the local Moose Club, which again was a group dedicated to outreach in the community and building relationships. This introduced Gacy to the Jolly Joker Club. These members regularly performed at fundraising events, visiting hospitals, and would coordinate parades as clowns. Now, this was back in 1975 when he joined here and created his personas of Pogo the Clown and Patches the Clown. You got it? You got it? What is it? So 200000 is what? $910,420. I'm sorry. What? Did I? $200,000 in 1978 is equivalent in purchasing a power... To about $910,420.25 today. I'm sorry. What? Sorry, I just scraped the microphone. Holy shit. That's a lot of fucking money. Wow. Oh my God. This guy is making so much money, it's making me sweat. So so think the house we're building is 200, about 220. Get the fuck out. So, yeah. Oh, he made... Back then, you know what we got? (laughs) It's making me sweat. Like, holy shit, that's a lot of fucking money. Jesus Christ. Okay, well, Pogo was meant for fun, while Patches was meant for a more serious character. However, one thing that I did notice that was very apparent in both of his characters, the makeup that he would do had more pointy edges than round. And this is actually something that they learned in legit clown school. So, <laughs> I didn't know. family history. Oh, no, don't <clears throat> you tell me. So, I have a cousin who, her, my cousin Dawn, Dawn Marie. Uh, um, you're about to her, tell me there's a clown in the family. Her mom is a legit clown. And my cousin Dawn, they both graduated clown high school. Like, legit. My cousin Dawn was 
the one who was in the room when my mom took her last breath so that we could be with dad. Yeah. That's a she beautiful a story, but she's <laughs> never invited to anything that no. I am involved in. <laughs> no, you will love her. Oh my God. You will love she's her. She's never allowed to dress as a clown. Uh, no, let me rephrase. she don't. I've never seen her. Oh my I'm God. I'm just saying, like, they that are is, legit clowns. That is wild. <clears throat> yep. No. Now, again, this is the the makeup. Okay, so pointy edges versus round edges. This is something that they legit learned in clown school and how pointy-edged makeup can be more scary than round-edged makeup, which is supposed to look... round edges make it... It's soft. It's more inviting. It's, it's happy. Soft. It's yeah, yeah, it's soft. There's no, like, ooh, ooh, ooh. But... Gacy never did that. He always had pointy-edged makeup. Both eyes, cheeks, mouth, all of it was pointy on both characters. But Gacy would say whenever he was in clown makeup, he would regress to his child years. He loved being a clown so much that after, even after events, he would voluntarily stay in his outfit and makeup and visit a local bar before going home some nights, which is like... I'm sorry, no. If you walk in, if you walk into a bar dressed as a clown, it's not Halloween, and I'm in that bar, I might punch you. I'm I'm I might punch you. I don't fucking I don't dig clowns. I'm not okay with yeah. clowns. Especially like if this fucker walked into a bar that I was in, what? I would kick you so hard in your teeth. No. Absolutely not. I think of it and it freaks me out. Uh, <laughs> like seriously. We're gonna move on. <laughs> Like Stephen I King will not has, sleep tonight. Stephen King has ruined me for clowns. Oh god, no! <laughs> like I'm, I will admit right now, I have not watched one it movie. I will not watch. Have you read the book? No, I oh, cannot. My it's god, it's horrifying to me. The book, spiders is... and clowns. Do you know how you've got me? No, that can be a great book. book. I will never touch it. I will never touch it. Absolutely Misery? not. I haven't read Misery. Oh, I've watched the movie. God. I've watched the movie. Oh. Movie is fantastic. I watched the. I, I read the book. You watched which, the book. I watched. What did it, it do? <laughs> it shot words in my brain, <laughs> and I and took it, verbalized oh. it, visualized it, and when the book quit <laughs> watching me, letting you watch it, I went and read the movie. <laughs> And watching the book was way better than reading the movie. <laughs> that was giving me heartburn. <laughs> me and my brother, Dennis. Swear to God. Oh my God. We were at the movie theater and we seen the, uh, we seen the preview for Misery mm-hmm. coming soon. And we were like, oh my God. Because we've always been Stephen King fans. So we... Went and got the book, and we read the book before the movie came out. Oh, my God. And then we went and watched the movie. And, mm. Yeah. No, no, I'm good. I'm way good. Oh, so good. <clears throat> I'm sure it was. But anyways, so clowning is what it was called. It was a huge passion of Gacy's, and he that would later help give him the name The Killer Clown. There was one occasion while at a parade that another clown and friend of Gacy approached him while they were clowning and said something along the lines of like, no one will understand that the liberty that clowns have. To which Gacy replied, quote, clowns can get away with murder. That's a red flag, buddy. It's a yeah. huge red flag. Now, I, I know a lot of you guys are probably thinking right now, Katie, 
This guy sounds like a true blue collar gem to his community. There are a lot of facts, but no murder really. Well, guys, this is just to set the scene for you of what Gacy's life was like on the outside. Up to this point, we have a man released from prison, no longer on parole and idle to the community, but horrible husband, a supporter to everyone else, um, and a thriving businessman. Speaking of business, let's circle back over to PDM. Now, when it came to PDM, the majority of workers that Gacy hired were young boys around high school age. Why? Uh, they work hard for less pay. But it was also because Gacy loved to watch them boys work. This was Gacy's breeding grounds, if you will. He wanted them to be like in that teachable Yes, stage. yes. Let that me mold. Yes, let stage. me mold these yeah. minds. As a boy. Yes. Let me implement mm -hmm. just like it was implemented onto me. This was Gacy's breeding grounds, if you will. He would hire these boys and then try to make sexual advances towards them after granting favors, like letting them borrow the truck, giving them advances on pay. He also claimed to have guns at what, at this time when he didn't. And he would use that as a threat as well of like, quote, do you know how easy it would be to get one of my guns, shoot you and get rid of the body? So like, okay, we've got Whoa. a lot of weird narcissistic flags coming up now. Like what's going on here? This is not the uh, main guy Gacy that, you know, the community knows. This is a scary guy. Now, at this time, we've been going through a timeline of sorts for you guys, but we are going to jump around a little bit here now because this is where we're going to get into the murders a bit more in depth, and that way you guys can see the other side of this man, this truly horrifying side, the side that Gacy himself would claim to be an alter ego by the name of Jack. Yeah, right. And Jack would be the one who was to blame for these murders. So, in other words, this man was so sick that even he needed to try and separate those parts of himself to keep a sort of sanity within his own prison of a mind. Now, when it came to Gacy finding his victim, there were different tactics, if you will. If he were out driving and prowling, he would pull over next to his potential victim and say really greasy shit, like, you want to go drink and watch porn? Or simply, hey, want a party? I got drugs. What? And these were boys he was... was boys. Yes. Young no. boys. Yes. Once said victim was in the car, he would either talk and drive back home to the basement bar, or if he was feeling a certain type of assertive, he would then use a chloroform rag and immediately attack them, knocking them out. Once home and in the basement with said victim, Gacy would torture the victim, rape, assault, and repeat for hours until they eventually died. Now, in other instances, he's, he invited some of the boys who had been working for him or he didn't immediately attack these boys that were getting in the car. He would bring them down to the basement, feed them alcohol, and then bring out his tricks. Now, Gacy... Because he was a clown. Yes. Now, Gacy would mention, oh, hey, did you know that I'm a clown? And would talk about that for a second and then bring out a pair of handcuffs, handcuffs and a length of rope. And would say, you want to see a magic trick? And of course, not seeing anything wrong at this point, other than partying with your boss or random guy, and him mentioning he's a clown. <laughs> the victim would then, of course, say, yeah, sure. Sure, whatever. And Gacy would happily oblige. He would take the handcuffs and walk half, I'm sorry, halfway lock them around his wrists, and then poof, show that he could get out of it, following up with, 
you want to try? Once he got the cuffs around the victim, of course, the victim would say, okay, well, how do I get out now? To which Gacy would reply, quote, you can't. You need the key. <laughs> and then assault would begin. You slime ball. Now, before we go any further, in the you last episode. fucking scumbag. Oh, it's just, just disgusting. Like, you immediately took fucking. over. Yeah. You took advantage from the very beginning. Like, it's it's disgusting to know that these poor these poor boys were robbed of their their life their innocence their youth their youth their life, everything. everything like for their families everything so um now before we do go any further because now i'm about to go into some of the details of like his torture uh with the victims i need to correct myself in the first episode i had said that the investigators found a garrow <laughs> it's not a garrow <laughs> i suck at pronunciation with these things garot. it's a garot okay which is like the piano wire with the two things of wood at the end for handles that you would use to wrap up somebody okay you... i'm so sorry yeah, i suck at pronunciation sometimes guys <laughs> refer back to the very first episode i had a stroke within 20 minutes so like yeah, i'm sorry um, so a garage, it's a garage. I got it. know what you said? I, nope, I had no clue what I said. <laughs> so I knew what it was, I just yeah. I didn't know how to say it. <laughs> um, now it's a second episode. <laughs> now, guys. It is the second episode. God You've damn said it. it before. Garot. It's a, a garot. Garot. <laughs> it's the way I don't think it's actually pronounced is the way it, it is. It's garot. Okay. <laughs> now, guys, Gacy would torture these poor boys for endless hours with no stop. And also, as well, when they would ask him to kill them, he would very, very quickly go, I'm getting around to it. And he says that to multiple victims. And it doesn't stop him from going any slower, any faster. Like, these poor boys were just completely and totally just demolished. Once his prey was trapped, he would usually start by sitting or straddling the victim via the chest area before forcing them to perform fellatio. He then would perform a bunch of different torture methods, from burning them with cigars chaining them to his homemade torture rack and shoving foreign objects such as pill bottles and dildos up the rectum. Oh my god, what <sighs> fucking sicko. Um, one of the things that they found as evidence was actually a two-foot-long two uh, dildo that was, had 18 inches of secretion coated to it. So, like, it's just awful. Like, it's hard to talk about. He would, and I didn't know this part, and this really, I... I I stopped breathing while reading the sentence. Um, he would make the victim pretend to be a horse, a young boy. You're going to make them pretend to be a horse. And he would sit on them and have makeshift reins around their neck as well. And if the victim got too kicky with their feet, he would shackle them to a two by four with metal cuffs on both ends, completely immobilizing them. There were also a few other occasions where he would make the victim crawl to his bathroom where he would partially drown them in the bathtub Revive them and then do it again. How is all this even fucking possible when he has somebody fucking living in the house with him? Uh, just honestly. Like, on, is, ser what? Now, once done with this animosity, this fucking animal would then sleep with their bodies under his bed for the first 24 hours before taking them to the garage where he would embalm them and then drag them to bury the bodies in the trenches he had dug within the crawl space underneath this house 
with quicklime to ha hasten the decomp process. It's a really hard sentence to read. It's very hard to read. This was, most of this was happening after Carol had already moved out, the intense intensity of it. Yeah. And because of that, he had now the entire place to himself that he could kill in and truly let his monster within just blossom. So now we are officially going to get into the murders. This is where things are going to get very intense and very gruesome. It is hard to read as like we've already experienced so far, let alone talk about. So everyone, just take a big deep breath and get your shit together because here we go yeah because i don't like some of this shit it's hard I to don't. read it's hard now again we have been following a timeline somewhat but we are going to be falling back to go through each victim that i have found info on now the first vi victim is right off the bat intense as all get out this was on January 3rd of 1972. Gacy was out prowling uh, when he found 16-year-old Timothy McCoy at the Chicago Greyhound bus terminal. McCoy was returning from Christmas break in Michigan, and he was on his way back to his dad's home in Omaha, Nebraska. Gacy picked up McCoy, saying that he would take him back to the station in the morning, drove McCoy to his home, and to this point, nothing else happened. They all went to sleep. There was no assault. Everything was fine. The next morning... Um, Gacy woke up to the 16-year-old standing in the doorway of the bedroom with a kitchen knife in his hand. Gacy flew out of bed. McCoy immediately threw his hands up in a surrender-type fashion uh, with the kitchen knife. And as he did, the knife grazed Gacy's arm and cut him accidentally. This was enough for Gacy to just lose his mind. He twisted the knife out of McCoy's hand and banged his head against the wall and then kicked him into the standing wardrobe. McCoy's fight or flight kicked in, and he was all fight. As Gacy walked towards him, McCoy kicked him in the stomach that doubled Gacy over. Gacy responded with saying, I'll kill you, motherfucker. He grabbed McCoy, wrestled him onto the floor, grabbed the kitchen knife, and then Gacy began to stab McCoy repeatedly in the chest. Later, Gacy would say that he was completely drained, but the gap... This is hard. Gacy would say that uh, he was completely drained, but the gagging and gargling noises of McCoy dying gave Gacy a, quote, mind-numbing orgasm and realization that killing was the ultimate thrill. Ugh. He's a sick He's a fuck. sick fuck, man. As McCoy lay dying on the floor, drowning in his own blood, Gacy walked into the kitchen to clean off the knife, and that's when he saw it all. The open carton of eggs an uncooked sliced bacon on the counter next to the stove. It became very apparent that McCoy wished no ill will, but instead wanted to say thank you for the hospitality by cooking breakfast before leaving. McCoy was immediately buried in the crawl space, and Gacy went so far as to pour a small slab of concrete over him, too. So this guy, like, he wasn't even trying to no. harm Gacy at all. He was just... Just walked out. Just walked right out. Hey. Now, the second murder didn't happen until the following year, and this victim is still not identified. This is where Gacy started to learn while murdering about what to do to prevent certain things from happening. He picked this boy up, brought him to the house, and did his tricks. He then strangled the boy, and instead of burying him right away, stuffed him in his closet for a bit until the body actually started to Ugh. leak fluids from the mouth and nose staining the carpet <laughs> it's, it'll be all right it'll be all right <laughs> he learned that in order to prevent secretion 
He would stuff rags. Stop with those words. I know, I know, I know. Uh, he would stuff rags or even their underwear down their throat to soak up said fluids. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was the last time. On July 31st of 1975, John Butkovich, an 18-year-old PDM employee from Lombard, disappeared. Butkovich's car was found parked near the corner of Sheridan and Lawrence with his jacket and wallet inside and the keys still in the ignition. Now, the day before his disappearance, Butkovich had confronted Gacy over two weeks' outstanding pay. So he had gone to confront Gacy about this pay that was owed to him. Give me my money. Exactly. Suck uh, your dick. Give me my money. <laughs> now, Butkovich's father called Gacy, who claimed he was happy to help search for his son, but was sorry because Butkovich had actually ran away. So when questioned by police, Gacy said Butkovich and two friends had arrived at his house demanding the overdue pay, but they had reached a compromise and all three had left. Over the following three years, Butkovich's parents called police more than a hundred times, urging them to investigate Gacy further. Um, What had happened was uh, Gacy offered Butkovich a drink, then conned him into allowing his wrists to be cuffed behind his back. Uh, Gacy would later confess to have having sat on the kid's chest for a while before he strangled him. He stowed Butkovich's body in his garage, intending to bury the body later in the crawl space when his wife and stepdaughters returned home earlier than expected. And Gacy ended up burying the body underneath the concrete floor of the tool room extension of his garage in an empty space where he had initially intended to dig a drain tile. Around this time as well, Gacy, again, was doing a lot of prowling, so he committed, most of his murders were between 1976 and 1978, when he had already lived alone, and he referred to this time as his, quote, cruising years. So one month after his divorce finalized in 1976, Gacy abducted and murdered 18-year-old Daryl Sampson. He was last seen alive in Chicago on April 6th of 1976. Gacy buried him under the dining room with a section of cloth lodged in his throat. Five weeks later, on the afternoon of May 14th, 15-year-old Randall Raffet disappeared shortly after returning to his uptown home from a dental appointment. Hours after Raffet was last seen by his family, 14-year-old Samuel Stapleton vanished as he walked home from his sister's apartment. He and Raffet were close acquaintances. Both were buried together in the crawl space, and investigators believe the two were murdered the same evening. So it was like a double murder for Gacy that time as well. On June 3rd, Gacy killed 17-year-old Lakeview teenager named Michael Bonin. He disappeared while traveling from Chicago to Wakangan. Gacy strangled Bonin with a ligature and buried him under the spare bedroom. Ten days later, Gacy murdered a 16-year-old uptown youth by the name of William Carroll and buried him in a common grave in the uh, crawl space as well. Carroll seems he to... He never have, slowed down. He didn't. No. Like, he once just, he started, he just kept going. So, Carroll seems to have been the first of four victims known to have been murdered between June 13th and August 6th of 1976. Three were between 16 and 17, and one identified victim appears to have been an adult. An adult. (coughs) So he had, his MO was just his tricks, and then strangulation and forced rape of some sort, but he had no age requirement. None whatsoever. If, as long as they... His only requirement was, it was a boy. Well, and that was the other thing I was just going to say, too, is, like with Ted Bundy... The profile had to be a certain profile with Bundy. 
With Kemper, it had to be a certain profile with as well. With Gacy, it just had to be the sex of a male. Yeah. That was it. And they were alone. That was it. That's all they needed. But he did prefer a certain age range. He preferred 16 to 17, I would say, but like he wasn't opposed to 15 for sure. And as we know now, he was also not opposed to uh, an adult either. An adult is 18 and up. So like knew no bounds. On August 5th, a 16-year-old Minnesota youth by the name of James Hakinson is last known to have phoned his family, possibly from Gacy's house. He died of suffocation. His body was buried in the crawl space beneath the body of a 17-year-old Bensonville youth by the name of Rick Johnston, who was last seen alive on August 6th as well. Gacy has thought to have murdered two further unidentified males between August and October of 1976. On October 24th, Gacy abducted and killed teenage friends Kenneth Parker and Michael Marino. The two were last seen outside a restaurant on Clark Street in Chicago. Two days later, a 19-year-old construction worker, William Bundy, disappeared after informing his family he was to attend a party. Probably a basement bar party. Bundy died of suffocation. Uh, Gacy buried the body beneath his master bedroom. And he also, William Bundy, was an employee for Gacy as well at PDM. Now, between November and December of 1976, Gacy murdered 21-year-old named Francis Alexander. His last contact with his family was a phone call to his mother made sometime in November. Alexander was buried in the crawl space directly between the room Gacy used as his office. In December of 1976, another PDM employee, 17-year-old Gregory Godzik, disappeared. His girlfriend last saw him outside her house after he had driven her home after a date. So he did the the nice guy thing and walked his girlfriend home or drove her home or whatever the case may be. Uh, He worked for PDM for less than three weeks before he disappeared. He had informed his family that Gacy had had him dig trenches for some kind of drain tiles in his crawl space. Imagine that. Godzik's car was later found abandoned in Niles, which was the town over. His parents and older sister Eugenia contacted Gacy about Godzik's disappearance, and Gacy claimed that he had run away from home, which seems to be the bottom thing that he always says, having indicated before that he wished to do so. Gacy also claimed to have received an answering machine message from Godzik shortly after he disappeared. When asked if he could play the message back for Godzik's parents, Gacy said he had already erased it. Huh. Fancy that. This was all... <laughs> he Clintoned it he, before Clinton was a thing. <laughs> he, I'm, that's the title. He Clintoned it. He that's Clinton'd it. it. <laughs> now, just so everybody is clear, that was just one year of assault and murder of Gacy. That was only the year of 1976. We're just now getting into the year of 1977. On January 20th of 1977... Gacy lured 19-year-old John Sizzik to his house on the pretext of buying his Plymouth satellite. He later (laughs) confessed to strangling Sizzik in his spare bedroom, claiming Rossi was asleep in the house the following morning. Gacy later sold the car to Rossi for $300. There is also, at this time, Gacy had a roommate, I believe it's at this time, by the name of David Cram, who was also an employee of Gacy and also had a somewhat romantic continuous relationship with Gacy so he lived with him and stuff and Cram also confessed to one night coming home to Gacy sitting on the couch drinking completely dressed as Pogo the Clown no 
No. Cram is also <laughs> one of the individuals that <laughs> like no. Uh, no, I'm good. Cram is also one of the individuals that was able to get away from Gacy, but he also helped dig trenches under the crawl space to hide the bodies as well. And but he didn't know he was hiding bodies. He didn't know he was hiding bodies, but he was also confessed was, to by Gacy as well later yeah, on. But he was uh, there was a couple of them that were <coughs> Yes. Two months later, on March 15th, a 20-year-old Michigan native by the name of John Prestige disappeared. Prestige was... <laughs> I read Prestige, but I hear Prestige Worldwide from Step Brother. <laughs> uh, Prestige was last seen leaving a near Northside restaurant. He was buried in the crawl space above the body of Francis, Francis Alexander. Shortly before his disappearance, Prestige had mentioned he had obtained work at a local contractor. Gacy murdered one individual identified youth and buried him in the crawl space in the spring of early summer of 1977. The exact time of this murder is actually still unknown. On July 5th, Gacy killed a 19-year-old from Crystal Lake. His name was Matthew Bowman. Bowman's mother last saw him at a suburban train station. He had intended to travel to Harwood Heights for a scheduled court appointment regarding an unpaid parking ticket, but he never came home. The following month, Rossi was arrested for stealing gasoline while driving Sizzit's car. The gas station attendant noticed the license plate and police traced the car to Gacy's house. When questioned, Gacy told officers that Sizzit had sold the car to him in February, saying he needed money to leave town. A check of the VIN confirmed the car had belonged to Sizzik, and the police did not pursue the matter any further. Although they did inform Sizzik's mother that her son had sold his car. And that was it. By the end of 1977, it's also known that Gacy had murdered six more young men between the ages of 16 and 21. The first of these victims was 18-year-old Robert Gilroy, the son of Chicago Police Sergeant, last seen alive on September 15th. Gilroy lived just four blocks from Casey's house. He was murdered and buried in the crawl space. Ten days after Gilroy was last seen, 19-year-old former U.S. Marine John Mowry disappeared. A fucking Marine. A Mm. Marine. He disappeared after leaving his mother's house to walk to his apartment. Gacy strangled Mowry and buried his body beneath the master bedroom. Like I said, no matter where you walked in that house, you were walking walking on bodies. The fact that we have details of where these bodies were actually buried as well makes it just like so much more real. He he wrote on a piece of paper exactly where everybody was. A map. He legit wrote a A full map. map. Okay. We're almost out of the trenches, guys. I promise. (laughs) Now, on October 17th, 21-year-old Minnesota... Native Russell Nelson disappeared. He was last seen outside a Chicago bar. Nelson was looking for contracting work and Gacy murdered him and buried him beneath the guest bedroom. Less than four weeks later, Gacy murdered 16-year-old Kalamazoo teenager by the name of Robert Winch and buried him in the crawl space. And then on November 18th, 20-year-old father of one Tommy Bowling disappeared after leaving a Chicago bar as well. Three weeks after the murder of Tommy Bowling on December 9th, a 19-year-old U.S. Marine, another one, David Talsma disappeared after informing his mother he went to attend a rock concert in Hammond, Indiana. Gacy strangled Talsma with a ligature and buried him in the crawl space close to the body of John Mowry, the other Marine. That's disgusting. 
that's fucking disgusting right there. That makes me feel like you're keeping a matching game pair of your murder victims. And my husband's a Marine. That hits a little too close to home. I don't like that. I'm so glad we're almost done with these. (laughs) On December 30th, Gacy abducted 17-year-old student Robert Donnelly from a Chicago bus, uh, bus stop at gunpoint. He drove him to his home where he raped, tortured, and repeatedly dunked Donnelly's head in the bathtub until he passed out. Gacy taunted him with statements such as, aren't we playing such fun games tonight? And Donnelly later testified at Gacy's trial that he was in such pain that he asked Gacy to kill him. Gacy replied, I'm getting around to it. Uh. And after several hours, Gacy drove Donnelly to his workplace and released him. Just let him go. Completely let him go. Warning him that if he complained to police, they would not believe him. We're getting ballsy. We're starting to get ballsy. There's one name that I'm waiting for you to get to because then I know, like, (sighs) finally. We're into 1978 now. We're almost there. That was all in 1977. We are officially into 1978 now. I was seven years old. I was born in 71. Why did I not think you were around for this? <laughs> I'm making you younger than you are, Mom. Aww. <laughs> so remember, Robert Donnelly was abducted on December 30th. Now into 1978, Donnelly had been released. He went to police. He reported the assault. Police questioned Gacy on January 6th of 1978. Gacy admitted to having a quote, sex slave relationship with Donnelly, but insisted that everything was consensual, adding that he, quote, didn't pay the kid the money that he had promised him. So the police believed Gacy over Donnelly. And the following month, Gacy killed 19-year-old William Kindred, who disappeared on February 16th after telling his fiance, who knew Gacy, that he was to spend the evening in a bar. Kindred was the final victim that Gacy buried in his crawl space. Keep that in mind. Listen to that sentence again one more time. Kindred was the final victim that buried in his crawl space. So Have y'all we're, been keeping track of how many are in there right now? We're, there's over 20 victims under his house at this time, guys. He has now officially ran out of room to bury these bodies. But, unfortunately... He's not done yet either, which is disgusting. So we're almost there. Hold on, guys. We're almost there. On March 21st, Gacy Lord 20... This one's really hard for me. Wow. I didn't realize we were on this one. So this one is part of the documentary that I watched on Peacock. I can't remember what it's called right off the bat because now my blood is starting to fucking like pulse through my body right now. Um, You guys, if you have Peacock, just search John Wayne Gacy. It'll pop up. They talked to this victim and the sheer fear of just saying this man's name is just blood boiling and horrifying all at the same time. Like you want to go beat the fucking daylights out of this man. But at the same time, you are petrified of this man by how he explains him. They talk to him and um, this man's partner as well. So this is 26 year old Jeffrey Rignall. Um, Shortly after Rignall entered the car, Gacy chloroformed him and drove him to his house where he uh, restrained his arms and head in a Pilroy device, uh, which which was affixed to the ceiling. So this was his homemade torture rack. It was affixed to the ceiling and his feet locked into another device. 
Gacy explains that Rignall, to Rignall, he had complete control over him, and he intended to do whatever he wanted to him as well, when he wanted, and how he wanted. He then raped and tortured Rignall with very in- various instruments, including lit candles, whips, and repeatedly would chloroform him into unconsciousness and then bring him back in the worst of ways. One of these instances was shoving a giant old-fashioned glass pill bottle up his rectum until Ricknell screamed out in mercy. Okay, now mind you, this is all while this is going on, and then when he's done with this, he's back out in the community like... Like nothing ever happened. He raped and tortured Rignall. So fucking scary. He then, once he was done abusing and using Rignall, uh, he drove Rignall to the Chicago's Lincoln Park, bloody and naked, where he was dumped, unconscious, but alive. Rignall managed to stagger to his partner's apartment. Police were informed of the assault, but did not investigate Gacy. Rignall was able to recall through the haze of that night the Oldsmobile, which was the black Oldsmobile, and particular side streets as well because he was over in the airport area. By 1978, this crawl space had no more room. Gacy later confessed to police that he considered... It was now a foundation. It was. A complete foundation of bodies. It's the foundation like Savannah. It is the most disgusting thing to think about. Mm. Like a foundation So he killed 33. He killed 33 young bodies five of which were not under the house. So mm-hmm. that's that's 28 bodies underneath that house. The house isn't that big. That's not that big. It, no, mind you, one of those bodies is also buried under the barbecue pit in the backyard. So while he was hosting and one these in the events... Garage. And one in the garage. So while he's hosting these lavish events, people are walking on bodies. No idea. I told you, the entire house, no matter where you walk, there's a body. Ugh. We're out of room now, but Gacy wasn't done. And he would later confess to police that he considered stowing bodies in his attic. He thought about stowing in the attic. But he had been worried about complications arising from, quote, leakage and secretion of, of fluids from the bodies. Therefore, he chose to dispose of his victims off of the I-55 bridge into the Des Plaines River. Gacy stated he had thrown five bodies, bodies into this river in 1978 one of which he believed had landed on a passing barge. Only four bodies were ever recovered. (sighs) The first known victim from the I-55 bridge into the Displane River was 20-year-old Timothy O'Rourke. He was murdered in mid-June after leaving his Dover Street apartment to purchase cigarettes. Shortly before his disappearance, O'Rourke had told his roommate a contractor on the northwest side had offered him a job. On November 4th, Gacy killed 19-year-old Frank Landigan. He was last seen alive by his father walking along Forrester Avenue. His naked body was found close to an inlet in the Displane River by two duck hunters in the Chanahan on November 12th. On November 24th, a 20-year-old James Mazera, Mazera, Mazzara, it's Mazzara, disappeared after sharing Thanksgiving dinner with his family. It was Thanksgiving. Oh, Oh, God, I hate this man. Mazzara had informed his sister the day prior to his disappearance that he was working in the construction industry and doing all right. He was last seen alive walking the direction of Bug House Square carrying a suitcase. And that was it. Okay, we are now to the murder that stopped it all. 
So we're out of the trenches, creeps. If you guys, this is a long episode. So thank you guys so much for sticking with us up to this point. We're officially through the nitty gritty and we are into the stopping of it all. So the investigation with Gacy is... Gacy fucked up. He did. He fucked up big. He fucked up when he fucked with Robert Priest. So... The investigation can be seen as a little lengthy, but we'll try to... crumbled upon him. Oh, yeah. We'll try and condense it down as much as possible. But, you know, if you guys are here, we had already said before that these episodes are going to be a little bit longer because these are such intense cases. So just, again, thanks for sticking with us because... The intensity is over. Yeah. We're in in the uppity up now. (laughs) So... The downfall. Here we go. On the afternoon of December 11th in 1978, Gacy visited the Nissan Pharmacy and Displanes to discuss a potential remodeling deal with the store owner by the name of Phil Torf. Remember that name? Yes. While he was in within earshot of 15-year-old part-time employee Robert Peast, Gacy mentioned his firm offered hire, often hired teenage boys at a starting wage of $5 per hour. Almost double the pay that Peast was earning at the pharmacy. Shortly after Gacy left the pharmacy, Peast's mother arrived at the store to drive her son home so the family could celebrate her birthday together. This was on his mother's birthday. Peast asked his mother to wait, adding that, quote, some contractor wants to talk to me about a job. He left the store at 9 p.m., promising to return shortly. But Peast was murdered shortly after... 10 p.m. at Gacy's home. Gacy later stated that at his house, he gave Peace a soft drink before asking whether there was anything he, quote, wouldn't do for the right price, to which Peace replied that he did not mind working hard. In response, Gacy stated, quote, good money could be earned by hustling, although Peace was dismissive. Gacy then duped Peace into donning handcuffs before saying, quote, ugh, I'm going to rape you and you can't do anything about it. As Peast began to cry. Gacy's subsequent statements regarding the events to unfold varied, although in one of his initial statements, he claimed that Peast failed to resist as he removed the boy's trousers. He also stated that as he placed the rope around Peast's neck, the boy was, quote, crying scared. Gacy admitted to having received a phone call from a business acquaintance as Peast laid dying, suffocating on his bedroom floor. Now, also, I want to say as well, the way that Gacy would suffocate his victims is not the normal hands around the throat, choke you till you can't breathe no more, suffocate. What he would do is he would take a length of rope and he would tie it around his victim's neck. And then he would take the handle of a hammer and he would twist that hammer if you guys remember from which the intro. A garot. Which was also a garot. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. Exactly. There we go. So yeah. that's, and that's how he would suffocate his victims. He would, that would never. Be his homemade garot. Yes, yeah. that would be it. He would never choke them. It was always done with this garot. Which is a medieval thing. <laughs> it is. It's a very medieval thing. Very so, medieval. So, like, Gacy, again, is proving and... just twist away. Mm-hmm. And he would say, like, he yeah. said, if you guys remember from the intro, he would twist it maybe five times, and that would be enough. Yeah. And, like, the way that ugh, the way that he talks about it so nonchalantly makes me want to just gag. But that's that's how he would do it. When Peace failed to return, his, mu- his family filed a missing person report with the displayed police department. Torf... 
The manager, named Gacy as the contractor, piece had most likely left the store to talk to about a job. This is where Lieutenant Joseph Kosinjak, whose son attended Maine West High School just like Peast, chose to investigate Gacy further. Having spoken with Peast's mother on the morning of December 12th, Kosinjak became convinced that Peast had not run away from home solely because how invested his family seemed to be about the disappearance of their their family member. Yes, because they were very adamant. He would not miss my birthday. He would bir- not do he this. He would not miss my birthday. Mm-hmm. It was my birthday. We had this plan. Yep. The mom was like, it was my birthday. He would never just... Like, and not to say that the other family members of their missing children didn't care about them, but again, this is during the 70s when hitchhiking was still a really big thing. Running away from home was still a very common thing. Yes. So filing a missing person's like this was, was a boy that was dedicated. Was he was dedicated out of his norm. It was. He was a very dedicated he family had member. Family that wasn't like he had family. It would be the same but, thing as, for instance, me not answering anybody for fucking two days. Why yeah. is Katie not answering her phone? Katie is mm-hmm. very quick to reply to people because Katie has cri- crippling anxiety yeah. about that. <laughs> But back then, it didn't, everybody didn't have cell phones. No. But for Priest, like, his family, that was, I don't know how to say it. It just seems his... His family background was so strong. And he, like, he was just so, again, dedicated to his family, to his, where his family knew this was out of character for this person. Like, something is not right here. I don't think all the other victims had somebody fighting so desperately. So hard for them. Because it was so, like, this is wrong. Yes. So, a routine check of Gacy's criminal background revealed that he had an outstanding battery charge against him in Chicago and had served a prison sentence in Iowa for sodomy of a 15-year-old boy. So now Gacy is starting to look kind of like the man. Coast and Jack and Finally two... Finally came back. Yes. Karma, baby. It's that yep. karma train. Finally came back. Choo-choo, motherfucker. Coast and Jack and two displaying officers visited Gacy at his home the following evening. Gacy indicated that he had seen two youths working at the pharmacy and that he had asked one of them, who he believed to be pieced, whether there were any remodeling materials behind the store. He was adamant, however, that he had not offered Peace a job and had only returned to the pharmacy shortly after 8 p.m., as he had left his appointment book at the store. Gacy promised to come to the station later that evening to make a statement confirming this, indicating that he was unable to do so at the moment, as his uncle had just died. When questioned as to how soon he would come back to the police station, he responded, quote, You guys are really rude. Don't you have any respect for the dead? Which is just mm, a little funky. On top of, at 3.20 a.m., after Gacy never showed up at the police station to make this official statement about the disappearance of Peace. Here comes Gacy, again at the witching hour of 3.20 in the morning, covered in mud, claiming that he had been involved in a car accident. And on returning to the police station later that day, Gacy denied any involvement in Peace's disappearance and repeated that he again had not offered him a job, and when asked why he returned to the pharmacy, Gacy reiterated that he had done so in response to a phone call from Torf, informing him that he had left his appointment book at the store. Detectives had already spoken to Torf, though, who denied calling Gacy and saying, 
That conversation never fucking happened. At the request of detectives, Gacy prepared a written, a written statement detailing his movements on December 11th. This led to our first search warrant. Suspecting that Gacy might be holding peace against his will at home, Desplaines police obtained a warrant to search Gacy's house on December 13th. So we have quick police work happening right now because peace disappeared on December 11th. So now we're December 13th. We already got a search warrant. So that's what I'm saying. We, like, we moved real fast on this. moved fast. So this search of Gacy's property revealed several suspicious items, including several police badges, a six millimeter brevitata starter pistol inside an office drawer, and a syringe and hypodermic needle inside a cabinet in Gacy's bathroom. Investigators also found handcuffs, several books on homosexuality and pederasty, with titles such as The Great White Swallow and Pretty Boys Must Die, seven pornographic films, capsules of amyl nitrite, um, hang on. Okay, it is sometimes used as an antidote for cyanide poisoning. It can act oh. as an oxidant to induce the formation of methemoglobin. I bet you it's to probably bring back from chloroform. That's the only thing I can think of. Okay. And this is rough. This is the 18-inch dildo in Gacy's bedroom, a 39-inch 2x4 with two holes drilled into each end, bottles of Valium and atropine, and several driver's licenses were found in the Northwest bedroom. So flag, 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 on top of also finding a blue hooded parka on top of a toolbox inside the laundry room and underwear, too small to fit Gacy, was located inside a bathroom closet. Just wanted to throw out there, guys, the last thing that Robert Peast was seen alive in was a blue hooded parka. Just throwing that out there. In the northwest bedroom of the house, investigators also found a class of 1975 Main West High School ring engraved with the, initial, the initials J.A.S. They also recovered a they also recovered a Nissan Pharmacy photo receipt from a trash can, alongside a 36-inch section of nylon rope. So, got a lot of red flags here, and the police have a lot of evidence, but nothing to essentially really pin to Gacy at this moment. So, unfortunately, they have to go back to the police office and, you know, assess the damage that they have discovered. And this is where they've decided that they're going to put Gacy on 24-hour surveillance, two teams, all the time, following Gacy, no matter what. And this is where he became he a fucking ridiculous, fucking. just an <sighs> idiot. So, the DePlanes police confiscated Gacy's Oldsmobile and other PDM work vehicles they assigned two two-man surveillance teams to monitor Gacy on a rotational 12-hour basis as they continued their investigation into his background and potential involvement in peace disappearance. These teams consisted of officers Mike Albrecht and David Hackmeister, and then also Ronald Robinson and Robert Schultz. The following days, investigators received a phone call from Michael Rossi, who informed the investigators that Greg Godzik's disappearance and the fact that another employee, PDM employee, Charles Hatchula, have been found drowned in an Illinois river earlier that year. So now we have even Donnelly, who was, you know, for, if you guys remember from the earlier, was assaulted by Gacy and was told that it was all consensual and stuff like that. He called up these investigators and was like, 
hey, so these people were just found. You should really make sure you're looking into Gacy because, like, these people were found and I worked with them. On December 15th, Displain's investigators obtained further details of Gacy's battery charge. In an interview with Gacy's former wife the same day, they learned of the disappearance of John Butkovich. The same day, the Main West High School ring was traced to a John Allen Sizzik. An interview with Sizzik's mother revealed that several items from her son's apartment were also missing, including a Motorola TV set. So Which? we have a lot of pieces starting to fall together here now. What's found? By December 16th, Gacy was becoming affable with the surveillance detectives, regularly inviting them to join him for meals in restaurants and occasionally drinks in bars or at his home. So literally like rubbing elbows with the people who are watching him going out there and be like, hey man, want a donut and coffee? I got some, I got some meatloaf in here. Why don't you come in here and it's, you know, it's cold out here. Come out, come in here and warm up and stuff. Knowing these officers were unlikely to arrest him on anything trivial, he would also go far, go so far as to uh, taunt them by running through traffic lights, blowing through stop signs, not using his blinker, just being an erratic driver. And he would also speed so fast that he would lose the officers at times as well. That afternoon as well, Mr. Cram consented to a police interview in which he described Gacy's hardworking lifestyle and open-minded attitude about sex between men. He also revealed that because of his poor timekeeping, Gacy also had given him a watch explaining it, quote, he got it from a dead person. We're getting him some, some more and more stuff is starting to come in here. Investigators conducted a formal interview of Rossi on December 17th. He informed G- them that Gacy had sold Sizzik's vehicle to him, explaining that he had bought the car from Sizzik because he needed money to move to California. A further examination of Gacy's Oldsmobile was conducted on this date as well. And in the course of examining the trunk of the car, investigators discovered a small clusters of fibers that suspected to be human hair. That evening, officers conducted a test using three trained German Shepherd search dogs to determine whether Peace had been present in any of Gacy's vehicles. One dog approached Gacy's Oldsmobile and lay on the passenger seat in what the dog's handler informed investigators was, quote, a death reaction. Yeah. Indicating Peace's body had indeed been present in that vehicle. That evening, Gacy invited detectives Albrecht and Hackmeister to a restaurant for a meal. In the early hours of December 18th, he invited them into another restaurant where, over breakfast, he talked of his business, his marriage, his activities as registered clown, and, like, just... Being like, fucking... Nothing's going on. Yeah, you just need buddy see buddies. over here. I'm just being investigated for a couple murders. So then, by December 18th, Gacy was beginning to display signs of strain from the constant surveillance. He was unshaven. He looked tired. He Aww. appeared anxious and was drinking heavily. That afternoon, he drove to his lawyer's office to prepare a $750,000 civil suit against the displaying to police, demanding that they cease their surveillance. So, you got on one side this guy who's being super nice to the cops who are watching him. And in that same moment, he's also like, these guys are harassing me. I'm fucking over this. I want to sue the police department over this. Like, he's psychotic. He is a split personality disorder. 
to the max. Like, I got it. Uh, absolutely. So that afternoon, the serial number of the Nissan pharmacy photo receipt that was found in Gacy's trash can was traced back to a 17-year-old Kimberly Byers, who was a colleague of Peace at the Nissan pharmacy. Byers actually admitted when contacted in person the following day that she had worn the jacket on December 11th to shield herself from the cold because she was actually working the register right next to the door. She had a crush. Yes. And she, she, so what happened was she had a crush on Peace, but she didn't know how to come about it. So she, she took, she borrowed the jacket and when she went to give it back to him because he was going outside to talk to a contractor about a current job, she slipped a photo receipt that had her name and number on it in hopes that he would call her. Like, love is dead. (laughs) So sweet. Um, so let's see. Cupid could have had a good arrow that time. Uh, Cupid had it right that time. Just yeah. a little too fucking late. Uh, Byers would tell the police this. This was an immediate contradiction to what Gacy's statement was on the evening on December 11th. Yes. So again, Bitch. the puzzle pieces are coming together. And now <gasps> we're on our second search warrant, guys. Thank God. The same evening, Rossi was interviewed a second time. He informed detectives that in the summer of 1977, at Gacy's uh, behest, he had spread 10 bags of lime in the crawl space of Gacy's house. On December 19th, investigators began compiling evidence for a second search warrant for Gacy's house. On the same day, Gacy's lawyers filed the civil suit against the Des Plaines Police Department. So... Now we got a little bit of trouble here. Uh, The hearing for the suit was scheduled for December 22nd. That afternoon, Gacy invited the surveillance detectives inside his house again. And Officer Robinson... boys, why don't come in for some coffee? Yeah, that was exactly it. So again, now he has his surveillance team inside his house. They're all being buddy-buddy. Well, as Officer Robinson distracted Gacy with conversation, Officer Schultz walked into Gacy's bedroom in an unsuccessful attempt to write down the serial number of the Motorola TV that happened to be in there. While flushing Gacy's toilet, the officer noticed a smell he suspected could be that of rotting corpses emanating from the heating duct. The officer who had searched Gacy's house previously had failed to notice this as the house had been cold that day. So as soon as you turn that heat on, you got a very putrid smell that was starting to come. Investigators interviewed both Cram and Rossi on December 20th, Rossi had agreed to be interviewed in relation to his possible links with John Sizzik, as well as the disappearance of Robert Peast. When questioned by Kosinjak as to where he believed Gacy had concealed Peast's body, Rossi replied Gacy may have placed the body in the crawl space, adding that he thought uh, Sizzik's car was stolen. Rossi agreed to submit to a polygraph test. He denied any involvement in Peast's disappearance, also denying any knowledge of his whereabouts. He soon refused to continue the questioning and Rossi's erratic and inconsistent responses to the question while attached to the polygraph machine rendered Kozinchak unable to render a definite opinion. So as to the truthfulness of his answers went. Rossi did, however, further discuss the trench digging he did in the crawl space and remarked on Gacy's insistence that he not deviate from where he instructed to dig. It meant that I, what I think it means is that Gacy already had bodies down there when he sent Rossi down there to go and dig more holes. Oh, of course he did. So it was very, don't of go there, otherwise did. you're going to see some shit that you don't want to see. It wasn't the first time 
a body was put there. Yes. Like, Rossi wasn't the first person to dig a, tr- a hole for a body. That was Rossi's interview, so then came Mr. Cram with his interview, and he informed investigators of Gacy's attempts to rape him in 1976. He stated that after he and Gacy had returned to his home after the December 13th search of his property, Gacy had turned pale after seeing a clod of mud on his carpet, which he suspected to come from his crawl space. Cram said Gacy had grabbed a flashlight and immediately entered the crawl space to look for evidence of digging. Why are you acting so fishy, Gacy? When asked whether he had been to the crawl space, Cram replied, he had once been asked by Gacy to spread lime down there and had also dug trenches to which Gacy explained were for drainage pipes. So everything again, we're starting to come to this big rolling boil. Gacy's starting to get real sloppy as far as what he's doing. He's being irrational by trying to sue the police department. Now he's got some of his work employees that are actually confessing against him. Like... And he's got a stinky smell coming from the fucking vents. So, like, everything. Just one more search warrant. One more search warrant. On the evening of December 20th, Gacy drove to his lawyer's office in Park Ridge to attend a scheduled meeting and also to discuss the progress of his civil suit. On his arrival, Gacy appeared disheveled and immediately asked for an alcoholic drink. Whereupon Sam Amaranti, which was his lawyer, fetched a bottle of whiskey from his car. On his return, Amaranti asked Gacy what he had to discuss with them. Gacy picked up a copy of the Daily Herald from Amaranti's desk, pointed at the front page article covering the disappearance of Robert Peast, and said, quote, This boy is dead. He's dead. He's in a river. I'm sorry, what? I'm sorry, what? You just, just, you're rolling over now, buddy. You you might as well roll all the way over. He's a lawyer. He can't, like, just, like, run and go. No. Oh, I got him. Yeah, no. And not only that, you're his lawyer. So you have to defend this guy. Gacy then proceeded to give a rambling confession that ran into the early hours of the following morning. He began by informing Emiranti and Stevens that he had, quote, been been the judge, jury, and executioner of many, many people. And that now he wanted to be the same for himself. He said that he had murdered at least 30 victims, most of whom had he had buried in his crawl space, and had disposed of five other bodies in the displaced River. Gacy dismissed his victims as male prostitutes, hustlers, and liars, to whom he would give the rope trick, adding he sometimes awoke to find dead strangled kids on his floor. Get the fuck out of here. You knew exactly what happened to them. With their hands cuffed behind their back. He had buried their bodies in his crawl space as he believed they were his property. Get the fuck out of here, buddy. Okay, so you woke up and they were just there. They were oh, just there now dead. all of a sudden they're your property? Yeah. Fuck get you. Get off. Get out of here. God, Lord. As a result of the alcohol that he had consumed, Gacy went that night. Emirati immediately arranged a psychiatric appointment for Gacy at 9 a.m. that morning. On awaking several hours, several hours later... Gacy shook his head when informed by Amaranti that he had confessed to killing approximately 30 people, saying, quote, Well, I can't think about this right now. I've got things to do. Ignoring his lawyer's advice regarding his scheduled appointment, Gacy left their office to to attend the needs of his business. Gacy later recollected his memories of his final day of, quote, freedom as being hazy, adding he knew his arrest was inevitable and that he intended to visit his friends and say his final farewells. So after leaving his lawyer's office, 
Gacy drove to a gas station where, in the course of filling his rental car, he handed a small bag of weed to the attendant, who immediately handed the bag to the surveillance officers, adding that Gacy had told him, quote, the end is coming for me. (laughs) (laughs) These guys are going to kill me. Gacy then drove to... Yeah. Gacy then drove to the home of fellow contractor and friend Ronald Road. Gacy hugged Road before bursting into tears, saying, quote, I've been a bad boy. I've killed 30 people, give or take a few. I'm sorry. Give or take a few? You mean you lost count? Bruddy, you lost count? What? Give or take a few. Uh, I've been a bad boy. I've been a bad boy. Disgusting. Gacy left road and drove to Cram's house to meet with Cram and Rossi. As he drove along the expressway, the surveillance officers noted that he was holding a rosary to his chin, praying while he drove. After talking to Cram and Rossi, Gacy had Cram drive him to a scheduled meeting with with lawyer Leroy Stevens on the northwest side. As Gacy spoke with Stevens, Cram informed their surveillance officers that Gacy had told him and Rossi that he had confessed to over 30 murders with his lawyers the previous evening. Gacy then had had Cram drive him to Mary Hill Cemetery, where his father was buried. We're saying all the goodbyes. Bye-bye. Oh, yeah. When he was in his lawyer's office, like, confessing all of of this, he was... That's it. Hammered. He was drunk as shit. Yep. As Gacy drove to various locations... lost his mind. uh, For real. Just completely lost his mind at this point. As Gacy drove to various locations that morning, police outlined the formal draft of their second search warrant, specifically to search for the body of Robert Peast in the crawl space. On hearing from their surveillance detectives that, in light of his erratic behavior, Gacy might be about to commit suicide, police decided to arrest him on a charge of possession and distribution of cannabis in order to hold him in custody as the formal request for a second search warrant was presented. At 4.30 p.m. on December 21st, the eve of the hearing of Gacy's Mm. civil suit, Judge Marvin J. Peters granted the request for the second search warrant. After police informed Gacy of their intentions to search his crawlspace for the body of peace, Gacy denied the teenager was buried there, but confessed to having killed in self-defense a young man who was buried under his garage. Your very first kill? You're going to confess... To, to that one? You're going to confess to that to one? that one? But you're not going to confess to any of the intentional murders that you just committed so, for three well, years? you know what he's doing? He is getting them to look there. And nowhere else. And nowhere else. That's He's trying to deter. That's yeah, what he's trying to do. Because there's only one buried there. Yeah. So look there. Because that's what I did. God almighty. Yeah. Now, police are armed with the signed search warrant. And evidence uh, technicians drove to Gacy's home. On their arrival, officers found Gacy had unplugged his unplugged his sump pump, flooding the crawl space with water. To clear it, they simply replaced the plug and waited for the drain water to drain. They ain't going nowhere, buddy. I'm telling you, these officers, the long haul, bitch. they probably cleared their entire fucking schedule to be there. Um, after it was done, after it had done so, evidence technician Daniel Genty entered the 28 by 38 foot crawl space, crawled to the southwest area, and began digging. Could you imagine being that person and being like, I am in a legit 
sewage waste fucking crawl space. And it smells like death. It smells like death. I'm looking for death. Like, within minutes, he had uncovered putrefied flesh and a human arm bone. I believe it was the forearm. Genty immediately shouted to the investigators that they could charge Gacy with murder, adding, quote, I think this place is full of kids. Wow. A police photographer then dug in the northeast corner of the crawl space, uncovering a patella. The two of them began digging in the southwest cor- or southeast corner, uncovering two lower leg bones. The victims were too decomposed to be pieced, as the body discovered in the northeast corner was later unearthed. A crime scene technician discovered the skull of a second, second victim alongside his, this body. Later, excavations of the feet of this second victim revealed a further skull beneath the body. So now they're just finding everything just stacked on top they're, of each other. Exactly. Because of this, technicians returned to the trench where the first body was unearthed. It's discovering almost like it's head and feet. Head and it feet. is. It very, like, very much so. Because of this, technicians returned to the trench where the first body was unearthed, discovering the rib cage of a fourth victim within the crawl space, confirming the scale of the murders. So, got him, bitch. We got him. Yeah. Oh, no, you're done. So, after being informed that the police had found human remains in the crawl space and that he would now face murder charges, Gacy told officers he wanted to, quote, clear the air, adding Hmm. he had known his arrest was inevitable since the previous evening, which he had spent on the couch in his lawyer's office. You know you fucked up. You know you done fucked up. You were so fucking irrational all the way up until this point. Your actions have caught up with you. You're fucking caught. So in the early morning hours of December 22nd, 10 days fucking time from the time that peace had disappeared on the 11th to now, 10 days fucking time that all of this is happening. This was quick fucking police work. I commend these officers so much. It was... We got a little bit of evidence. We're running with it. And now look what they've uncovered, literally. Like, props to them. Amazing. Cops doing cops' jobs. Cops doing cops' fucking jobs. They ended up uncovering every single one of the bodies from the crawl space. They also went down to the Displane Rivers. There was a victim found six miles downstream from the I-55 bridge on June 30th. It wasn't initially connected to Gacy, but in January 1979... The victim was identified using fingerprints records and a distinctive tattoo on his left bicep reading Tim Lee, which was a homage to Bruce Lee, and that was Tim O'Rourke. So that was one one of Gacy's victims that was able to be confirmed. So they, and what they pretty much did as far as like searching the river is they had divers and the divers would go underwater and just search all around the I-55 bridge from north to south or east to west, however it goes. Um, and just sift through all the waters looking for looking for these bodies. Yeah. Again, only four of the five bodies were ever discovered, but they were discovered. So Gacy was brought to trial on February 6th of 1980. He was charged with 33 murders. He was tried in Cook County, Illinois before Judge Louis Garipo. The judge was selected from Rockford because of extensive, extensive press coverage in Cook County. So they didn't want to pick a judge in Cook County to make sure that nobody was biased towards Gacy because, again, he was the shoe-in around the community. Yeah. So who's to know who he had, you know, dirty little secrets or blackmail or anything he could use in his favor when it came to this trial. So Gacy, during the time of trial, he tried to convince the doctors that he had multiple personality disorder. He claimed to have four personalities, a hardworking, 
civic-minded contractor, the clown, the active politician, and a policeman called Jack Hanley, who he referred to as, quote, Bad Jack. When Gacy had confessed to police, he claimed to be relaying the crimes of Jack, who detested homosexuality and who viewed male prostitutes as weak, stupid, and degraded scum. His lawyers opted to have Gacy plead not guilty by reason of insanity to to the charges against him. Presenting Gacy as a Jekyll and Hyde character, the defense produced several psychiatric experts who had examined Gacy. Three psychiatric experts at Gacy's trial testified they found him to be paranoid schizophrenic with multiple personalities. And from that time on, there were multiple people who came forward and testified against Gacy. One of them was Robert Stein. Another was Jeffrey Rignall. There was also Donald Voorhees Sr., whose son was sexually assaulted in the very, very beginning. Robert Donnelly testified as well. And on during the fifth week of the trial, Gacy wrote a personal letter to Judge Garipo requesting a mistrial for reasons including that he did not approve of his lawyer's insanity plea, that his lawyers had not allowed him to take the witness stand, that his defense had not called enough medical witnesses, and that the police were lying with regard to verbal statements he had allegedly made to detectives after his arrest and that, in any event, the statements were self-serving for use by the prosecution. Judge Garipo addressed Gacy's letter by informing him that both counsels had not been denied the opportunity or funds to summon expert witnesses to testify, and that under the law, he had the choice whether he wishes to testify and was free to indicate as much as the judge if he wished to do so. So the judge pretty much said, that was fucking stupid. You're stupid. Move on. Hello, buddy. (laughs) Body's under your house. (laughs) You can't, Um, like, talk that away. No, there's no way that you can. So, it all came down to the deliberation, and the jury deliberated for less than two hours and found Gacy guilty of 33 charges of murder. He was also found guilty of sexual assault and taking indecent liberties with a child. Both convictions in reference to Robert Peast. At the time, his conviction for 33 murders was the most of which any person in U.S. history had been convicted of at that time. In the sentencing phase of the trial, the jury deliberated before sentencing Gacy to death for each murder committed after the Illinois statute on capital punishment came into effect on June of 1977. His his execution was set for June 2nd of 1980. Uh, Before his trial, Gacy initiated contact with a journalist to whom he granted numerous interviews with and is some of the interviews that we can see now uh, for like on conversations with a killer and stuff like that. On the morning of May 9th, 1994, Gacy, I was one year old. I was a year old. That was it. Gacy was transferred from the Menard Correctional Center to Stateville Correctional Center in Crest Hill to be executed. That afternoon, he was allowed a private picnic on the prison grounds with his family. For his last meal, he ordered a bucket of KFC. Goddamn 33 fucking secret spices. (laughs) 11 herbs and spices, baby. A dozen fried shrimp, french fries, fresh strawberries, and a Diet Coke. What's that Diet Coke going to do for you right now, bud? That evening... He observed a prayer with the Catholic Catholic priest from which who he received his last rites before being escorted to the Stateville execution chamber to receive a lethal injection. Bye, bitch. Gacy's death was confirmed at 1258 a.m. on May 10th of 1994. 
and his brain was actually removed for scientific studies. Thank fucking God. <laughs> now, saying it all along. Also, his last words were, um, fuck yes. That was it. That's all he said. Was just fuck yes. Fuck yes, bitches. Fuck yes, bitches. Very Chicago. But that yes. concludes our episode on John Wayne Gacy. <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> that was a long one. But congrats to you guys for sticking with us. Props to you because this was a lot of information to take in. It was a little overwhelming. We might have to start breaking these into part three parts. Mm-hmm. So it's like background, yeah. murders, trial, so that we can give everything the right yeah. amount of time, which is fine by me. I'm okay yeah. with that. But shoot, I'm not even going to go to do any business because you guys are such a, a members. Hey. Send in your listener tales. Yes, that's the only thing I'm going to say. Send in your listener tales, your creepy accounts, to caseofthecreeps at gmail.com. We appreciate you fuckers so goddamn much. We love you even more. Creepy bitches. We hope that you guys keep it creepy, as always, and be expecting on our next episode, part one, of Mr. Theodore Bundy, my all-time favorite. I'm so excited. It's going to be good. This has been my moment. I've been waiting for this. I can't wait. I'm so excited. I am so proud of us for getting through Gacy. Holy cannoli. good job. It was really good. But I'm so glad that's done because he's rough. He's real rough. But we thank you guys so much for sticking with us. We hope you enjoyed. We will see you next week. And as always, we hope you creeps keep it creepy. I'm Katie. I'm mom. Bye. Bye.